Episode 98 features an outstanding strength and conditioning coach that does not need much introduction. I am joined by Coach Alan Bishop, Director of Sports Performance for Men's Basketball at the University of Houston. Before we jump into today's episode, just a few housekeeping things. Remember to follow the show on Twitter at HWCN Podcast and share this episode or any that you find value in. And please drop us a rating and review. We would certainly love a five-star review uh, and rating if you get a chance. If you're in the Dallas area looking for some fantastic custom cookies that look almost too good to eat, check out Texas Treaties. Podcast listeners can use a special 10% off promo using the code PODCAST at checkout. Are you trying to step up your menswear game? Then Etiquette Dawn is the best choice. Etiquette Dawn is a truly custom apparel company that will have you looking like a sharp-dressed man. Check out www.etiquettedawncustomapparel.com for more information. When you need a coffee that works as hard as you do, or as strong as your squat, bench, deadlift, snatch, or clean, I suggest checking out Viking Coffee Company. Podcast listeners use the code Coffee with Noonan for a 10% discount on single purchases, but not subscriptions. Check out VikingCoffeeCo.com for more details and to order the official coffee of the Hangout Coach Noonan podcast. If you're looking for a quick and effective way to keep your weight room and or locker room sanitized, check out Xanago Sprayer. Bacteria can grow anywhere. A freedom sprayer goes with you so you can keep your athletes protected wherever you go. Let them know Coach Noonan sent you for a discount. Now, Enjoy today's episode with Coach Alan Bishop. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, I'm joined by uh, what some would call a legend in the game and probably one of the most uh, easily accessible uh, collegiate level strength coaches who does a phenomenal job uh, in my hometown. Um, so I by de facto, I, I rep them uh, because my both my parents went there and, and saw a lot of my family. So I'm joined by the director of sports performance for men's basketball at the University of Houston, Coach Alan Bishop. Coach Bishop, thanks for taking the time and uh, chopping it up with us, man. I'm real happy. And, and I'll tell you this, anybody who would even put me in a neighborhood of a quote unquote legend, you need to start listening to different people that that might be in the most flattering thing anybody's ever said, you know, introduced me on a podcast, but about as far from the truth as possible. So, man, you know, it's crazy. I, I don't remember exactly when I started following you on Twitter, but it was like instantaneously the content that you put out in regarding what you guys do and, and how you program. It's not I mean, you would probably agree. It's not anything complicated. It's pretty simple, pretty basic, but it's such a consistent deal. And you have just simply been able to prove time and time again, the effectiveness of it, what drives you or what just kind of prompts you to be so open with what you're doing, especially at that level where it seems like secrecy is such a greater emphasis. Well, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said everything that I do is uh, <laughs> is up online, uh, far from it. Um, <clears throat> but I also agree with you. I think what we do is very, very simplistic. Um, by no stretch is it easy, but it is very simple. When those guys come in, I'm not asking them to do anything, you know, to reinvent the wheel with, with actual training. But the the thing that kind of got me started with, with – 
you know, I maybe call transparency is I remember when I was at Southern Utah University, that was the first job that I had that I would spend a lot of time trying to find training information on, you know, what I wanted to do, which was division one athletics and training athletes in division one. And I didn't find a lot. Now, granted, you didn't have nearly the resources you have now. And, you know, even with something as simple as like Twitter or Instagram, uh, you know, so many people with podcasts, uh, you know, you get stuff off YouTube, there, there's a lot more avenues to go down. But I really enjoyed learning. I enjoyed going down rabbit holes. And, and personally, I enjoy teaching. When, I mean, even when I was, you know, the first job at Southern Utah, I was actually, I was teaching uh, during the day, a few days a week. I had to take a couple hours, um, you know, because I, I mean, shout out to my boss. He got it, man. I, I was, I was making peanuts. Um, but I took a couple hours during the day and I actually went and taught, you know, anatomy, you know, physiology. I taught all those courses at a massage college. So, you know, it's kind of a unique setting, but I mean, I was teaching then and, you know, I, I, I have no eyes on, you know, what's way out, you know, ahead of me on, you know, retirement or XYZ, but I'm sure when, when I get done doing what I'm doing here, I'll probably find a way to teach, you know, whether it's at a, you know, a university setting, whether that's at a, you know, high school setting, you know, whatever that setting might be, I'm sure when I'm done coaching, I'll be teaching somewhere. So I, I don't necessarily know that what I'm doing online is, is super in-depth teaching, but I think it's just small snapshots of things that I think are interesting, things that I think are, you know, useful, which is why I'm doing it with, you know, my athletes and, you know, the guys that I work with, but yeah, man, I don't think there's a super complex answer. I just, I really, really enjoy strength and conditioning and I really enjoy, you know, sharing information. I enjoy bouncing ideas off with like-minded people. And I think a lot of doors have opened in a lot of different ways, even, you know, finding good assistance to hire because you find like-minded people who are also taking a lot of pride in what they do from a coaching standpoint. And you can see that there's similarities in, in what you value and shoot, when you need to go to the well and find a good assistant, those people usually have people lined up or they'll have good recommendations for you because you know that you value the same things. So uh, don't, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a really short, simple to the point answer, but you know, that's, that's kind of the big picture of it, I guess. Yeah. Man, it's interesting that you talk about an after, you know, next next step type deal because, you know, that's that would be a question of, okay, in the strength conditioning world, what what is the next, you know, if, if we look at it from like a growth standpoint in terms of, you know, titles and positions, and, and I know that's it's not always the best thing to get caught up in, but we all are ambitious to a point and we want to grow you know one would say the next level might be you know pro like for you right now pro basketball or pro football uh but to say to go to a teaching standpoint that's an interesting kind of deviation from the norm in my opinion um what what makes you and i know you said you you used to teach but what else kind of drives you in that in that standpoint because i mean you you still teach 
now, right? You, when you have your assistants, you teach. When you have interns, you teach. With, the, with your athletes, you're teaching. Um, but when you get into a classroom, now you're teaching the next, you know, future Alan Bishop. You're teaching, you know, that next Joey Bergless, uh, Monty Sparkman, who are just, you know, going to take the knowledge that you give them, apply a little bit of their flavor, and pass that on type of deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my crystal ball is just as good as yours is. So, you know, when you say what is the future for, you know, the profession or this or that, the other, I mean, I really don't know. I think I think that's actually that's an interesting conversation that happens amongst many strength coaches is, you know, when people say, well, what's good for the field? Well, to me, it's almost, you know, kind of the, the grass is greener where you water it. The grass ain't always green on the other side. And, and to me, I don't know that we need to be looking down and saying, hey, what's what's better for the field? I mean, to me, the best thing for the field is do a, a, such a phenomenal job where you're at. And just think if, if every single university, if every single strength department did such a great job where they were at. And now great job. You know, how do you define that? To me, I think it's just how do you add the most value? You know, how do you, you know, so if, if it is the pro setting, you know, there's probably a lot of value with, you know, at that point, it's, it's a money-making organization, you know, even though it's, it's, you're dealing with people and you're trying, you know, you have people who can, you know, build generational wealth and you have people that can have these crazy earning potentials and do phenomenal things with their gifts and talents, but that's still different than the high school level. That's different than, you know, I, I have two young children and, and I always say it's, it's, you know, one of the most refreshing things is, you know, I have two kids that there's not anything in their mind other than just how much my daughter loves basketball. Love, I mean, just loves the game, loves being with her friends and playing the game, loves everything about it. My son loves football. I mean, he is the biggest little meathead on the planet. I have no idea where he gets it from, uh, you know, but he just loves the game. And so for them, like, hey, youth sports is is a completely different end goal than Grown-up sports, you know, like the NBA and the NFL. Uh, it's a completely different deal than college sports. It's a different deal than high school sports. And so to me, you know, j- just imagine if everybody just tried to water the grass where they were at and made it the best situation so that the people coming in behind you are inheriting a better situation. Um, and then on top of that, if you do such a good job, well, the people coming in behind you should do a better job. You gave them something to build off of. And no matter wherever you're going, they did a great job. Good. You have something even higher to build off of. And so, again, it's it's a super nuanced conversation. Um, it's one that I don't like to get into because I, I've got people that I think very highly of. and They think the future is strength coaches being at, you know, associate ADs and assistant ADs. And, and maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not wrong. I don't know. Um, I just think you know, if you want to do the best thing for the field, well, do the best job you can possibly do where you're at and just elevate it for everybody because rising tides lift all ships. Um, you know, and, and if you've got, you know, real hungry, young, ambitious assistants and interns and GAs that want to do a great job, well, I don't think people understand the amount of time and effort and, you know, energy that goes into truly mentoring somebody, right? And so, you know, you know, it, it, I almost feel bad sometimes because I, you know, I'll get DMs or I'll get emails. You know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a mentor. Or, you know, I'd love to connect so that you know I could have you mentor me. And it's like, look, 
I, I may have gotten, you know, 25 or 50 of those over my career where people are asking for mentorship, but I've also got, you know, five to 10 really, really good assistants and GAs and interns that I've worked with that I'm actively involved and engaged in what they're doing. And that is true mentorship. And it, it, I mean, it, you know, it, it takes a lot. And so, you know, I think if we just water the grass where we're at and make our situation as unbelievably fantastic as possible, I, th I think that's the best thing, you know, for the field. And I know it's a little bit of a veer off from the question you had about, you know, some people say it's, you know, it might be the NBA, the NFL, um, you know, whether for me teaching, whatever that might be, well, shoot, I mean, you know, NBA, NFL, who knows, you know, high school, you know, middle school in Texas, man, they got middle school strength coaches. Maybe that's on my horizon. Who knows? Right. Again, my crystal ball is as good as yours. Um, I just think at the end of the day, man, make, make the situation where you're at is as great as possible by adding as much value as possible to the situation. And, and that's how you improve the field. Yeah. I, you know, sticking on the, on the mentor side, um, it was last summer at the NHSSCA state clinic in, in New Braunfels. Um, we, yeah. I actually was sitting at the table uh, eating a couple of breakfast tacos. You sat down and at the time, uh, Daniel Johnson was still with you at U of H. Um, and I don't know if you remember that. And if you don't, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Uh, but, you know, fast forward a year now, he's at Louisiana Tech. Um, Autumn Lockwood just got over with the Eagles. Like, what does it mean for you to see those people who I would, I would assume look up to you and, and, you know, have gleaned so much from you to go on and, and have these opportunities and do great jobs and do great things, you know, because I think at sometimes certain certain coaches have that look over your shoulder, you know, kind of jealousy mindset of like, well, I don't want to invest too much into that person because they're going to take my job. Whereas what you just talked about, leaving it better, watering the grass where you're at to make it greener and stop worrying about the next person or the next job, you know, that that's, that's gotta mean a lot for you to, to be able to say, man, look at, look at what I helped do. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of autumn, really proud of Daniel. I do remember that, uh, man, you called me out quick i do remember because you say hey bro remember you said you're coming on a podcast when's that happening i was like <laughs> yeah no i remember uh you know but uh yeah you talk about daniel man like you talk about a guy who you know just his energy was through the roof man you talk about a guy whose enthusiasm was just contagious uh not not false bravado not not fake energy just a dude who loved life and had the most positive energy um, just the most contagious energy, just, uh, you know, one of the best stories I can give, man, there was one day we were doing, you know, some sled sprints where we had, you know, ones up, twos up, threes up, everybody's 20 yards apart. Uh, you know, you need a three-man rotation. And I can't remember what happened, but, uh, you know, I think somebody might have been dealing with an ankle sprain or something. We were trying to get, you know, hey, let's just warm it up, see how it feels type thing. They had to pull out. And I was like, hey, Daniel, go jump in on the end. He's like, oh, bet, you know, when he runs down there and he, he's talking trash and he's going to win the race. And you're just like, man, man, that's what it's about, man. Guys who are just, you know, you love being around the guys you're with. 
you know? And so, you know, but you can go all the way back. You know, when I got to UH, the, the very first person that came down was Cameron Prater. You know, and Cameron's up at SMU with football right now. He, he's doing a phenomenal job, man. I don't forget that. I don't forget that he came down and just absolutely worked his butt off. And because of what he did, it opened the door so that, you know, eventually, you know, we're getting guys in, you know, we're getting Jason Wooding. Well, Jason's out of Maryland right now. Just, you know, he's with football too. Man. I don't know what it is. I keep hiring these meatheads that want to go do football again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, Jason out there is doing a good job. Um, you know, I had Tyler McCulloch come in. He did a phenomenal job. He's actually out, you know, working at University of San Francisco right now doing, you know, basketball out there. Um, you've had so many people come through. I had a young man named Chris Zoda who he just finished up his GA and he, he's going to get a good job and he's going to have himself a good career. Uh, but, you know, Daniel's at Louisiana Tech right now. He left us, went to Texas Tech. They had some staff turnover, um, you know, and he, he got picked up. A bunch of that crew went out there to Louisiana Tech, and he, he was part of it. He, he was on the bus, man. He did such a good job. They, they wanted to keep riding, and they wanted him around. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to take any credit for anything. Those guys earned their shot. They put in the work. They, they did what they needed to do. They put in the hours. They committed to it. Um, and when the opportunity came, they were ready to take a position that they could go add value in another role that, that would be considered a, you know, step up and progression in their career. So, you know, really happy for them, proud of them. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we, we've had a lot of guys, you know, Anthony Cockrell's up doing SMU women's basketball right now. He was in the room with us. Brianne Brown's uh, the women's basketball strength coach at Miami right now. Um, we, we've had a lot of really good coaches that have come through the facility that just, you know, rising tides lift all ships and we all work together and we all do a really good job trying to help each other and elevate each other's programs. Um, you know, and I think the proof's always in the pudding. And so, you know, again, you're saying looking over your shoulder and doing this or that, um, you know, I, you know, speaking of Joey, you brought up Joey Burgess and we were together at Utah state, um, you know, and Joey, you know, he, he had worked at a couple of small schools, Lindenwood. Uh, I apologize. I'm blanking on the other name that he was at in Florida, a uh, small NAIA school. Uh, but, you know, we, we kind of identified him, brought him out to Utah State, did, did a phenomenal job. Um, you know, he, he moved on to Texas Tech and then had a, just a great opportunity. These high school strength jobs in Texas, man, they are, they are elite. Um, yeah. He's doing a great job running a program right now. So, but even Joey, I remember one time, you know, he, he put out a pretty interesting thought and, and, you know, it, it's, it's not something that's like an ego stroking thought, but I think you got to have a real view on the world that if you have 10 coaches running the exact same program, you're going to get 10 different results. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's compared best to worst results, but it's going to be 10 different results. And I think as long as you have a, a belief in what you're doing, you know, and, and I say this all the time, man, is it, is it well thought out? Is it organized? Is there a lot of effort and intent on display? Um, you know, are guys working their butts off or you coaching your face off? Well, you know what? I, I didn't come up with that. I was taught that. And I was taught that by Dave Schultz. Um, you know, and, and to me, that's something that you talk about mentorship. Well, Dave's been the biggest mentor that I've had. He, he's been the most influential person on my career uh, of, of anybody in strength and conditioning, of any coach out there. Uh, and again, does that mean he's the best coach? That means he's the worst coach? Does that mean he's, no, it, it doesn't. It just means he's someone that took a vested interest in me. Uh, he was actually a grad assistant when I was a player. And then he was a full-time assistant when I was a player. 
And then I went on my journey to start coaching and he, he moved on to the NFL. He was with the 49ers and he came back to Utah state. And when he got that job, uh, you know, I, I, I was in a spot that I was able to take the position and go work with him. Um, so again, you know, that's, that's mentorship from him. So, you know, I, I think we're all just, you know, what do they say? We're all dwarves uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, you know, and one of the things I love about working for Coach Sampson is, you know, he, he, he's got a lot of wisdom and he says a lot of things that are not coaching speak. There's a real good lesson in there. Um, and, you know, one of them that he always says is, you know, you guys didn't dig the well. You're drinking the water out of the well, but, but don't mistake that for done the work to dig the well. And I think a lot of us get that same thing. You know, you got young coaches that are coming out of school and, you know, salaries are higher than they've ever been. There's more positions than there's ever been. There's more opportunity for advancement that there's ever been. And you know what? That's, that's not me. That's the guys before me. You know, that, that's, freaking, you know, it's Buddy Morris. You know, that, that's Joe Kent. That's Mark Uyama. That's all these guys who, who were in front of us. They can all point to people in front of them. Um, you know, and again, if, if, if you're one of these young cats coming out of school and, you know, and, and you're upset that, you know, this is still a young profession and you're upset that the salaries aren't where they should be. Well, good. Put your shovel in the dirt and dig the well, man. So that way the kids coming after you, you know, you, you do a good job. You, you know, your salaries are going to go up. Your opportunities are going to go up. Your, your resources are going to go up. It, it's, it's all going to improve. Put your shovel in the dirt and, and dig that well a little bit so it's better for everybody coming after you right and so i mean you know at the end of the day we all get hired to coach we get hired to win games you know if i'm on one side of the court and you're on the other trust me i'm i'm, I'm trying to kick your butt and i want to beat you by 70 you know and, and have a blowout and get our walk-ons in at the end like i mean there's a competitive spirit no doubt about it um you know you don't got to necessarily be friends with everybody you square off against but you don't got to hate each other either right and so again i think there is a little bit of a a reality that, you know, we're kind of in this thing together. So, um, or at least even if we're not, you know, I take that back. That's a little too touchy feely. We're not in this thing together, <laughs> but, but a lot of us are fighting the same fight. Yeah. yeah a lot of us have the yeah. same issues and we're fighting the same fight. And uh, I think you do a good job and I think it just makes it, you know, it, you know, again, the rising tide lifts all ships. And so water the grass where you're at, do a great job where you're at. And, and you know, again, you're right. There's been some really, really good coaches that have come through UH. Um, they've earned opportunities. They've moved on into great roles, um, but they earned them. You know, nothing was given to them. They worked their butt off. They got, you know, better at their craft and they earned great opportunities. Yeah. I love that, man. Well, you know, we, we can you know, play the, the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation stuff. You, you have uh, connections with, with several of the podcast alums, you know, we mentioned Joey Burglis, you played at Utah State. Um, so you've got a connection with uh, Frank Wintrich. Yeah. Um, what was it like, or what did you kind of learn uh, as a player with Frank, you know, kind of being that guy uh, as a strength coach for you? You know, it's funny when, uh, so when I got to Utah State, uh, Mark Uyama was the director uh, and Frank Wintrich was his assistant. And so, you know, what do they say? You're, you're drinking water out of a fire hose under a lake. You know, I'm just, I'm just a freshman trying to take all this stuff in, um, you know. And, and so anyways, I, you know, the, probably a few more things that I remember, you know, maybe things that Uwe had said 
because uh, I don't think I ever once trained on like Frank's rack, you know, because, you know, when you have five strength coaches and, you know, the whole room, you, you kind of have coaches that are on your rack. And so, uh, you know, funny enough, I think I was pretty much on Dave's rack for about five years, <laughs> um, you know, or four years. I think he came in right, right after, uh, you know, right after uh, Frank got bumped up. But, uh, but anyways, you know, what I do remember about Frank is I remember we're out doing a summer run um, and I had come from Alabama which, you know, I know you can't tell from the super deep, thick, heavy accent that I do not have. Uh, but I just graduated high school from a small town called Daleville in Alabama. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I, I went to Air Force Academy first. I was there six months, just, just wasn't, you know, wasn't the right spot for me. So I, I kept going out West, I guess, and uh, finished up and in, in, you know, ended up in Utah. But I, I'm getting my butt kicked, just absolutely getting destroyed by that altitude. Um, you know, I, I was wheezing and I mean, I would wake up sweating cause I just couldn't breathe, man. I just, I struggled with that altitude a lot. Anyways, I remember we we're doing a team run, you know, we're just, I, I mean, we were doing some 300 or something. I can't remember what we were doing, but whatever this run is we're doing, I remember like, I'm see, I'm just like, I can't breathe. I'm struggling. And I remember I hit a line and I turned to run and I'm in the very, I'm in the very back of the group. And I remember I get, I get the biggest freaking bear claw that grabs the back of my shirt and I go from running 10 miles an hour to running a hundred miles an hour because Frank <laughs> is behind me and he's pushing me through the line. And so, you know, looking back, I don't know if it's because he didn't want to have a repeat and he was ready to get inside too. So I better make my time. Uh, and I'm sure he won't even remember that. You know, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, all in days work. Uh, but I do remember that about Frank, man. I just remember uh, I'm turning a line. I'm, I'm so miserable. Just again, I, to this day, I hate the altitude, man. I, I struggle with it. Uh, but yeah, I just remember that Frank, man, big old bear claw and all, out of nowhere, my go boom, just take a big thud to the back. <laughs> he's got a, he just got a vice grip on my shirt and he was pushing me through the finish line as I'm trying to, trying to finish a run. So, you know, I, I'm probably built more for power and speed, not for endurance. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just blame it on that. <laughs> but no, that, that, that's one thing, you know, so you talk about impact. Uh, you know, I'll always remember that. That was just one of those fun, you know, college strength and conditioning moments. And it just so happened to be with Frank, man. Um, when you were there, do you remember a guy by the name of Rob Myers? He was a, might have been a tight end. I remember Rob very, very well. I'm curious where you're going because so, he, he may he may not want you and me to talk about our times together. <laughs> no, I'm just curious, man. I'm just curious. Um, Rob actually graduated from the same high school I graduated in Houston. We both graduated Bel from Bel Air. Yeah. He's a year older than me, um, and so he's at, at the time you know, we are when he was a senior was the first time Bel Air had made the playoffs in like 70 years. It had wow. been, or not 70, but 30, 30 years. It had been like 1970 was like the first, like the last time they'd made it. So his class and then my class followed up and then they took a little bit of a lull. And when I got out of college, I went back to Houston and just started, you know, basically I was a GA for a year, substitute teaching and doing video at, at Bel Air. And then he yeah. would come, he was a, uh, you know, bouncing around the training camps and stuff. And so he would just come up to school and uh, Rob was the first time I ever pulled my hamstring, you know, cause I was a horrible high school athlete, but uh, <laughs> he was like, Hey man, uh, y'all got those, uh, 
the bungee resistant bands, you know, where you strap one side to somebody else. And, you know, he just used me as a 260, 270 pound sled. <laughs> and just, I just got launched, man. And I, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going. And, you know, you go to kick and you know how it is when you, when you go yeah. kick out and you're just not warmed up and you're not in shape. And I just, Ooh, man, that thing. But yeah, no, Rob was a, Rob was a character in high school, and I can only imagine he was probably about the same in college. Rob was a fun-loving guy. <laughs> I, will, I will leave it at that, man. No, Rob, yeah. uh, Rob still, you know, unless he's moved here recently, man, he's still in Houston. So, uh, you know, it was kind of cool when we got down here, got a chance to link back up. Um, but no, Rob, Rob's great, man. He, uh, so he, I think we ended up playing, he redshirted, um, I was at Air Force. I came in. Um, I think we spent four years together at Utah State. So, yeah, man, I I know Rob very very well. <laughs> it was a you know handful of us kind of ran in that same same little crew. So, yeah. When you when you were finishing your time as a player, where did you? where did you see yourself transitioning? Was it automatically into strength conditioning or did you think about the NFL or like, how did that go? Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I, if I said, I didn't think I had a future in professional football, but you know, my, my journey was a little bit different too. You know, a lot of kids, they grow up and, you know, they want to be the quarterback for the Cowboys. You know, they want to, they want to play receiver you know, for the Patriots, you know, they, you always think about the NFL. As soon as I started playing high school football, as I mean, so you talk about freshman year of high school, I had one dream and that was to be a division one football player. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. I was never, you know, looking way out ahead of myself. I was always focused on what I was doing, but I always had a dream to be just a division one football player. And then when I started playing, you know, my dream was to be a great Division One football player. Now, you know, I love my parents very, very much. Uh, I probably did not pick my parents the right way to be the most athletic dude in the world. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was blessed with some height, um, and I, I was blessed with the ability to develop a little bit of strength, uh, but I was not elite at pretty much anything else. <laughs> so when it actually came to being great at the game, uh, I mean, I was revving my engine at full capacity just to be mediocre at the game, right? You know, and, and you know, but I think there's some lessons in there too. You know, I I really probably maximized any hint at a gift because because I'm not athletic at all. Um, I'm pretty good jumping. I, I I was okay for like sprinting ten yards, and then then it really fell off a cliff. Um, and and I was pretty good from the belly button up and all things strength related. Right? So, uh, so anyways, that being said, uh, you know, I really got to about my sophomore year, my third year, you know, redshirted, played a couple years. Um, there was, there was some progress getting a little bit better. And, and I thought I might have a future in the NFL. Um, but I was, I was a banged up body man. By the time I got done, my knees hurt, my groin was messed up. You know, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to dive into it, but uh, you know, just at the end of the day, when you go to some lower resource schools, which at the time, Utah State was a very, very low resource school. Um, you know, they, they've come a long way and credit to administration, school president, everybody since. But I played football at Utah State um, when I went there, man, it was, you know, 
if you have an injury, oh, good luck. Right? Like it just it was what it was. Um, you know, so I I came out of there, I felt really, really banged up. Um, probably took me six months to a year to just kind of feel like my knees were not in constant pain all the time. You know, my ankles, I mean, just everything, right? So I was a banged up body. Uh, but I, I kind of saw that coming at the tail end of the journey. Going into my senior year, I, I started realizing, hey, there's probably not an NFL future. There's probably not, you know, I thought maybe Canada, maybe Arena at the time. And then you start realizing pretty quick, you know, what you are and what you aren't. So I, I started lining up my ducks to get them in a row to be a strength coach. I knew I wanted to do that. Um, you know, I've told this story before, but it was actually, we had a coaching change my senior year and we're, we're watching film on one of the schools we're about to play. <laughs> oh, we got a dog barking there. Uh, we're watching film on one of the schools we're about to play. And, uh, and as we're sitting there, I'm a D lineman and we're watching their old line. And I just, they, they were not very good. And that's saying something because we were not very good either. Uh, but we, you know, we felt we had a pretty good game plan and uh, we actually ended up winning that game. Uh, but what we did is we just decided we were going to bull rush the entire game. You know, this is the wacky whack where you have, you know, Mexico State, Hawaii, all these teams that are just throwing the ball throw like 70 times a game, um, you know, back in the old whack. And so anyways, we're, we're about to play a game and they're, they're going to be a pass heavy team. And, uh, and anyways, we, you know what, like the way this old line, they just, they snapped the ball and they just, they just essentially kick back three steps and they're never trying to engage. They're just, you know, it's a really strange scheme. So we decided we're going to bull rush all game. But as we're sitting there talking, uh, I remember I, I made a comment in the D-line room. And I said, you know, the head coach just so happened to be in there with our D-line coaches and looking at film. And I said, yeah, these guys, you know, they're, they're belly buttoned down, man. They're weak as piss. They, you know, they don't squat. They just leg press. And everybody in the room turns around and looks at me, including the head coach. You know, the head coach is like, dude, you know, what the freak are you talking about? You know, this is Utah. So, uh Dude, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, this team, they don't, they don't squat. They leg press. So, you know, they're, they're really weak, lower body. So we just bull, bull rush and they're not going to be able to sit and hold us. And he's like, man, how do you know that? I was like, well, I thought everybody knew that. Like there was a, like an article on it. This, that, the other. <laughs> and, uh, and anyways, so, so anyways, we were talking a little bit later, you know, you know, some point in the season and he asked you like, Hey, what are you going to do? Um, I told him, I was like, I want to be a strength coach. He's like, yeah, I think that's a really really good career path for you. <laughs> you know everyone's in there trying to scheme a football game and I'm talking about what the other team's doing in the weight room right so uh so anyways you know I I, I kind of knew it's what I wanted to do and uh you know my head coach at the time had been the head coach at Southern Utah University uh very briefly and the head strength coach at Southern Utah was a guy by the name of Dan Benyon he was hired by the head coach I had um, and again, that's, you know, one of the benefits of being a student athlete, man, if, if, if you are one of those guys that just shows up on time, always works hard, you know, you're a higher character person. Well, these coaches, they, they want to help you. Um, so you always kind of have a little bit of a leg up there, you know, just because they've seen you do it, you know, for years at a time. So I was able to get connected with Dan Benyon um, and, and get right into coaching. So I, I finished school, you know, we did not make a bowl game. Uh, so I, I picked up a whole bunch of extra hours for a few weeks, um, you know, maybe about a month, uh, waking up in negative degree weather every day up in Utah. And then as soon as the next semester started in January, I was, I was down at Southern Utah as a grad assistant. Um, and I was a GA for six months. And after six months, they promoted me into a full-time role. 
and then it all kind of went from there. So, you know, Southern Utah was one of those unique spots where there was the head guy and then there was myself and I was the first ever full-time GA that they had. Uh, then I was the first ever full-time assistant that they had. Um, and then, yeah, man, it was two people, 400 student athletes, <laughs> early mornings, late nights. And we had, when I first got there, we had, I believe it was eight racks, eight platforms. And then, you know, we, we got a big gift and we were able to add three racks. So when I left, we had 11 racks. We still only had eight platforms. So, uh, you know, half a set of dumbbells, so you, you better better learn to get good, you know, at what you do on you know, those pull-up bars and barbells, dumbbells, because you don't really got much else. When you kind of look back on your journey as a strength coach and the evolution of it, knowing where you started with so little to where you are now with, you know, just a plethora of toys, but yet you still kind of stay around, um, or at least, you know, what, what we see on Twitter, you stay around kind of those, those basic tools, you know, the barbell, the dumbbells, the pull-ups, um, you know, what, what, what is it for you that you just kind of always gravitate back to that? Is it just because that's what you grew up? That's, that's, that's how you grew with your strength coaching, or you just realize at the end of the day, you can have all the fancy shit you want, but if you don't know how to apply it well, you're just saying you have a lot of shit, you know? You know, I, uh, I think that if you cannot get the job done with barbells and dumbbells, you probably don't deserve the other stuff. And I, I, you know, that may not apply to everybody, but I think that probably applies to the overwhelming majority of people. And I think it's, it's one of those things where if, again, if you don't understand transference and if you don't understand, you know, kind of the art of training and, you know, it's, it can be something as simple as this, right? You go, you go all over the, the planet and you've got meatheads, you know, and, and gym bros everywhere that, you know, there's a ton of dudes who can back squat 405. But, you know, you go around the planet, there's a whole lot less that can front squat 315. Okay, but I guarantee you every single one, every single one of them that can front squat 315, I guarantee you every single one of them can back squat 405. But all those dudes who can back squat 405, a very, very small percent of them can actually front squat 315. And so I think when you have, you know, the, and I think the lesson in there is you just got to know what rabbit to chase. That has nothing to do with, you know, like I, I've told that before, and some people will say, why would you need a front squat 315? No, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that you chase certain rabbits and it transfers to a lot more things. You chase certain rabbits and it doesn't transfer to anything other than just that rabbit. Right. So to me, it's one of those things when you don't have a lot, you really have to be efficient because are you just showing up to check a box and, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the babysitter that lives in the weight room. They got to get a certain number of hours. And, you know, it's, you know, it's whether you're the volleyball team and, hey, you know, the coach wants them lifting twice a week or you're the soccer team. The coach wants them lifting three days a week or you're the football team, the coach wants them lifting four to five days a week. Are you just in there to, to be in there to watch and monitor a lift? Or are you really trying to 
to run a needs analysis? Are you really trying to say what is the best way we can get from point A to point B by utilizing good training? Right. And, and yeah, there's a million, million ways to do it. And you got to start thinking outside the barbell and you got to start thinking outside the weight room. And you got to start thinking outside the box where, you know, the world for us does not just center in the weight room. But while we're in the weight room, you better be, you know, pretty good at what you do from a standpoint of knowing what transfers and what does and, and how can you get from A to B efficiently? Because at the end of the day, they're there to play ball. They're all there to play ball. And you're going to have guys like me that are me hits, man. And to be honest, I wanted to spend as much time as possible in the weight room, but I also wasn't that good at the sport. So let's be real. That's probably why I gravitated to the weight room, right? <laughs> um, but, for, but for the kids that are actually pretty good at their sport, the weight room is a way to get them better at their sport. And for some people, you know what, maybe that does, maybe that does look like, you know, I had a kid come in who was standing barefoot. He was six foot five, you know, so, so in shoes, he's a little over six foot six. Well, this kid's an NBA player right now, but at six foot five, he transferred in from another school. So he spent one year at a division one, spent one year at a junior college. And he came to us at six foot five, 159 pounds. The dude could jump out the gym. You could, you would get tired trying to make him tired and conditioning because you, you could blow your whistle a million times and he would not break a sweat and you would just get tired of blowing your whistle. Right. I mean, he's just one of those dudes in phenomenal shape, jump out the gym, you know, shifty, you put, you put, you just drop three chickens in the gym. He's going to catch them all. Right. The dude's just shifty and quick, but he was 159 pounds. And man, there's not a lot of dudes that look like that, that can withstand the, the, the rigors and the, you know, the demands of an NBA season. So maybe what that guy needs more than anything is just to get to 185 pounds. You know, and there's some guys, like we had another kid come in who, uh, you know, he transferred into us and he came in and he was like, he, I mean, he might've been about a biscuit shy of 270, a biscuit shy of 280. And we wanted him to play like 240 for the way we wanted to play. But he had some other underlying issues. That came with some tendonitis not being able to move, made him gain weight, gaining the weight, made his tendonitis flare up. So, you know, you start looking at those kind of things. So maybe what that guy needs more than anything in the world is he just needs to lose 40 pounds so his knees don't hurt anymore. Like, let's not overcomplicate that. We don't need to put him on the training room table just doing stretches and, you know, fascial abrasion, and, you know, all these different, you know, active release techniques. No, the kid's just 40 pounds overweight. So let's not overcomplicate these things. Um, so yeah, sometimes it can be pretty, you know, cut and dry from a standpoint of that. But other times you have kids coming in that they need something completely different, right? And so I think just, again, understanding what rabbits to chase and understanding when there's a time and a place and then just trying to master your craft so you don't have to just spend a ton, a ton of time doing something that's not going to make them better at their sport just because you got to check a box. You know, I, I think when you're at a lower resource whole lot of athletes, not a lot of coaches, you kind of got to develop that skill of, you know, how can I get a lot of bang for my buck with the limited amount of time we have with these guys? As you approach the start of the season and you sit down and you kind of maybe you piece together like a, a general big picture of where we're at, what, what our playing goals are to okay how do i service that how how finite do you plan things versus just kind of 
go maybe more in small chunks, right? You know, you, you have the, the camp season, then you've got that, you know, kind of pre-season tournament season, uh, depending on the schedule, right? Then you've got your conference play. And then if, if things line up right, then you got all your postseason run stuff, whether it's, you know, run to the final four or NITs or whatever, you know, uh, before you just cycle back and go, okay, now we're actually in an off season type of deal. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, you've got more pressure on you than let's say a high school, you know, coach does. Um, cause there's, there's a few more dollars tied to production, you know, for you guys versus for us, those kids just want to get to that level. You know, my, uh, my dad is 30 years, former active duty military. So I'm, I always kind of been drawn to the, uh, you know, I grew up on military bases, um, you know, from, from the day I was born until the day, you know, I left home to go to school. I mean, I, I was living on military bases uh, around military folks. So I'm always really drawn to the, the military way of looking at things uh, just because that's how I that's what I grew up around and I, I believe it was uh Patton that had a really a general Patton had a really good quote and it was plans are useless but planning is invaluable you know or and, and you know what I, I'm actually I, I am the king of bastardizing quotes so it, it's something to that effect you know, essentially <laughs> plans are useless you know, but the planning itself is what is critical. Um, so, so, you know, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's something to that degree, right? So when you're saying, you know, how finite are you planning? Uh, I have a plan. You know, it's, I think it's a very, very well thought out plan. It's, it's where I want our guys to be. It's, it's certain benchmarks, you know, we're trying to hit at certain, you know, whether we're June and July off season, whether we're, you know, late August, early September, you know, preseason, but that's preseason conditioning. Uh, whether we're October preseason practice or whether we're November out of conference season or whether we're, you know, January in conference season, whether we're March and April, you know, championship season, right? Like, so, so you have certain spots you want to be, but I think the planning and the thought that goes into where you want to be is probably a little bit more important than the actual plan itself. Because, you know, like last year, for example, we, we had a kid who ended up fracturing his foot. We had another kid who ended up uh, having a you know, pretty severe shoulder injury. Well, we had planned on those two. They're probably going to be all conference players for us, both of them. We planned on having them all year. And we had planned on one of our freshmen not playing very much because of who was sitting in front of them. Well, the planning of, of how we went through the entire offseason, preseason, et cetera, put them in a good position because now this freshman has to step into a role getting a lot of minutes. And to be honest, there was a little bit of having to get him ready because he probably wasn't in shape to play those game minutes because he, he just hadn't been doing it. And I don't care what anybody says, man. The only way to get in the game shape and get in a great game shape is you have to play the game. Um, there's just something about, you know, the emotion. You know, something about, you know, going to Alabama, sitting in front of 12,000, you know, fans, that it's it's a different emotional toll than practice. And, and really the only way to prepare for it is you have to do it. And then you have to perform. And then you have to step up under pressure and make a big shot or make a big rebound or dive on the floor after a loose ball. So it's, it's a different animal to get into game shape. So the planning of what we did 
Well, the plan changed, but the planning set us up for success because we just had to make a few little tweaks and we were still on track with this young kid stepping in, um, you know, taking, you know, 10 to 14 days, kind of getting them up to speed, getting them into a little bit better shape um, for the new minutes he was taking on. But again, the planning is what I think makes people successful. And I, and I don't want to take credit for that, man. Shout out. We, we got the best head coach in the country. Uh, we, we have the best staff I've ever seen in, you know, in my life at player development. Man. Like it's, it's crazy how good the, our assistant coaches do with player development. I mean, it, these guys are world-class. They are elite. Um, so I'm not trying to take credit for that. Uh, I, I just think we're all a small piece of the puzzle and we're all part of the planning process that when that plan gets thrown out the window, you know, what did Mike Tyson say? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Um, you know, so it's it's one of those things when the plan gets thrown out the window, you know, the planning and what got you to that point is what becomes critical, that what was the planning done correctly. So, you know, again, kind of a, kind of a long answer to a, maybe a short question. No, it's it's good, you know, because my follow up to that is, you know, you look if you kind of just reflect on your evolution, are there are there certain things, whether it's movement patterns or um, you know progression styles that you've kind of hung your hat on because you've just seen the success? You know, how how often are you changing things up? Um, you know year to year based on the on the group of kids or group of athletes that you have uh, and obviously when you change schools you and you're not working with the same coaching staff right you've got to adjust right there's some give and take you know what are they looking for and in, in terms of your what you do for them versus you know what you want from them in terms of support and whatnot like how have you kind of looked at your evolution in that regard yeah you know i I think that that's a really good question um i man and i again i wish i had a computer in front of me i I can't remember if it was uh leonardo da vinci if it was uh, michelangelo or who it was but you know i I believe it's called the the vitruvian man um but it's like the anatomical man where he's in a box and he's standing there with his arms outreach to the side yeah and the box is is it da vinci yeah and and so what he's doing is he's indicating that you know a a ana you know or i think again i think it's like anatomical man but it's like vitruvian man i believe um which i don't speak italian so i don't even know what that means (laughs) but uh but anyways what it's supposed to indicate is that your height should also be your wingspan so if you're six one you should have a six one wingspan uh well, the flip side of that is with the, the team that we have, we only have one player on our roster whose wingspan is within two inches of his height. But on the flip side of that, uh, you know, we have a kid who's 6'5 with the 6'11 wingspan. We have a kid who's 6'6 six, six and a half with the 7'2 wingspan. We have a kid who's 6'8 with the 7'5 wingspan. Um, you know, so we really value length and recruiting, you know, and, and, you know, my boss values length. Uh, doesn't mean you don't value height, but you really, really value length. And so when you start looking at it that way, you know, maybe you got to look at it from a standpoint of what is the mechanical advantage to the lift? So if you're someone with a really short torso and really, really long arms, really, really long legs, your mechanical advantage will be 
pulling, rowing, you know, pulling something in tight from the upper body. And if you're trying to squat, you know, your mechanical advantage is actually more of a hinged position because you have to try to keep that bar over the middle of your foot. That's the mechanical advantage to the lift. So you're actually going to hinge to get into a squat versus if you have somebody who has, you know, like the one athlete whose wingspan is within two inches of his height. Well, his mechanical advantage is actually, you know, you kind of have a shorter leg, a more proportionate torso, um, or even a longer torso, shorter legs. Well, you know what? He's going to be really, really good in a squat position because he doesn't have to hinge. And so you start looking at those things and you're saying, look, if we've got 13 guys who are going to be, you know, advantageous in a lift one way, and one guy advantageous in a lift another way. Well, maybe we should train for that. And maybe when we're doing a, you know, we're putting a training plan together and we're looking at, at the layout of the year and we're saying we're going to go in, a, you know, an accumulation training block that's going to lead into an intensification training block. Maybe we go, you know, back to an accumulation, back to an intensification, and then we finally hit a realization block. Well, maybe during that accumulation block, if you're saying, you know what, let's really work on weak points, you know, let's start building, you know, that base, but let's do it by improving upon weak points. Well, really, really long torso who wants to hinge, you're going to be pretty good through the posterior chain relative to your anterior chain. So again, doing a lot more front foot elevated work, doing a lot more heel elevated squatting doing things that are going to put you in a position to really challenge and develop your anterior chain because that is your weak point versus somebody whose body type is different. You know, you're going to have different ways to work an accumulation block. And so one of the ways that I, you know, I put it is like me, I have, I have a wingspan that's pretty proportionate to my height, but I also have really broad shoulders and I have very short arms. So if I'm doing a bench press, my elbow doesn't even go past my back when I'm laying on the bench. And it's not because I'm, you know, you know, like you talked about Monty Sparkman, you brought up earlier, you know, just a barrel chested big dude. Um, even if he had super long arms, just because he's so barrel chested, you know, may, maybe his arms don't go as far. Uh, but if you're someone who's not as barrel chested, you're maybe a little bit of a you know, different body type. Well, if I'm bench pressing again, my elbows don't go past my back when I bench press. So everything I do is tricep dominant on a bench. Whereas the guys I'm training, when they go down to their chest, their elbows hanging down to the floor because their wingspan so long. So now it becomes a little bit more chest dominant and their triceps are weak, right? Their triceps are not getting as much work. So you start looking at those little nuances to training. Okay. If it's someone like me, if I want to train and really, you know, again, accumulation block, build up a weakness, well, maybe I should be on a high handle lat pull down from a cable stack machine because I'm going to get more range of motion. I'm going to get more work through the lats. And now when we go to an intensification block and we're saying, you know what, let's try to get strong and, and let's start doing pull-ups and chin-ups. Well, that would have been a better way to set me up for the chin-up and a pull-up. Whereas if you're saying, you know, our guys are, you know, going to get more chest dominant out of the normal press. So if we want to challenge their triceps, maybe we should be doing more floor pressing. Maybe we should be doing more elbow dominant decline tricep work. Uh, you know, and it's funny because I remember, uh, you know, one time, you know, there was a clinic that we had down here at UH and we had a lot of folks come down to it. It was a really good deal. 
you know, and Monty made a comment. He said, you know, hey, you know, Allen probably wouldn't want to admit it, but he, you know, he's got a lot of bodybuilding emphasis in what he does. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of what we do is bodybuilding, but, you know, I do agree with Monty, man. I, I've been influenced by guys who understood how to develop a lot of weak points, you know, maybe, maybe through a bodybuilding emphasis. And so when you start looking at it that way, again, you start saying, how do things evolve? Well, it's not about bodybuilding. It's not about powerlifting. It's not about Olympic weightlifting, man. These dudes are athletes, but understanding how to draw from different disciplines and understanding how to, you know, improve upon their weak points and then what makes them special. Well, how can we, you know, I don't want to say enhance, but how can we even add to that? Again, it's just all process. And it's not sexy. It's, it, honestly, it's more mundane than anything because it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and you're just stacking bricks day after day after day. But it's just that process. And it's that, that consistency. It's that effort. And it's doing things intelligently progressed. And to me, that's where the true, you know, art to the science and the true, you know, kind of magic dust comes in on this thing. You know, it's just, it's just how you're doing it in a consistent manner. Yeah. I, I think sometimes at least the high school level, you know, we fall in, uh, you, you see a lot of, particularly with the football side of things, people fall in love with five, three, one, and, and the simplicity of, of what Jim Windler created with that. But they look at the big core lifts and they forget about all the rest of it. He addresses that like, you've got to address those weak points. And a lot of times they need that, that greater GBP, that greater accumulation, especially, you know, in a sport like football, where you have a little bit cleaner of an off season comparative to at least the high school level with basketball or a baseball where these kids are playing all year round. So you never have a clean off season, Um, you know, and it's like, if you don't go and get the rest of that puzzle, you're just building an incomplete deal. And yes, they're going to get stronger. But I mean, I, I know, I know Missy Mitchell McBeth said it. I've seen it all over other people. These are, they're, they're all going through puberty, man. These kids sneeze, they're going to get stronger, right? They walk past the weights, they inhale a little bit, they're going to get stronger. Like, man, there's just something about growth hormone that just does it when it's allowed to do its job, it's going to do its job, you know, and, I think sometimes we just take we as as the as the strength conditioning profession take too much credit for for things that nature does on its own at least at the high school level when they get to you and they get to the you know professional level that's that's where you definitely see the separation because of the brick building and the brick laying that you're talking about and they start focusing in on on the true weaknesses you know, at the high school level, you're lucky to have one guy that really understands what's going on. Most of it's potentially, unfortunately, coaches just babysitting and blowing a whistle. You know, I, I, I think one thing that I, you know, I, I want to touch on that from the previous question, you know, you talk about evolution, what are you doing different? Um, you know, if you look at the exercises, the exercises and how they're coached, man, when I was at Utah state, um, you know, one of the funnest things I've, I've ever done in coaching was running the developmental group for football at Utah State. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about just uh, enjoying your day-to-day. 
and you wake up and you got that developmental group and they're starting early in the morning and, and you just know, man, these dudes are about to eat breakfast, train their butts off, get a big, you know, high calorie, high protein shake, take these supplements. And all of a sudden it's 730 in the morning, they're going to class and they've done more before 8 a.m. than most of the world's going to do in a whole day, right? And, and you, you, I took so much pride in how we developed our developmental group. You know, there, there was a lot of guys that came through that group that, you know, went on to play in the NFL. A lot of guys that went on to be all-conference players. A lot of guys that went on to just have really successful college careers. Um, but we also did a whole lot more Olympic lifting based off the needs analysis of that sport. I mean, we, we're cleaning, we're snatching, we're doing that many more times a week than maybe I do with the guys I have now. And, you know, and I told a lot of people, uh, we don't do a lot of cleans with the guys that I have. If I have guys that are red shirt guys and I'm training them four days a week, yes, we're going to be doing some cleans. Um, we do snatches, but with those guys that had a Utah state, man, we were cleaning, we're snatching, we're doing a whole lot because it was a different sport with different demands and there's a different way to develop. And what you're saying is, you know, you talk about high school and you talk about big groups and, you know, less coaches. I love the Jim Wendler five through one. I bought that book. I've ran that program. Um, I want to say was one of them called the boring, but big, I want to say it was like the five through one boring, but big program. Yeah. Something um, like that. I mean, I ran that one on myself. Right. And you're right. It was, he was right. It was really, really boring. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it, uh, it at the same time, I, I did, I got bigger and stronger. Um, but what you're saying though, you start talking about high school, man. I, I, I respect Missy a lot. I like Missy a lot. Um, she is, she's actually the one that wrote me in to doing the, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the clinic that you and I sat at the table at breakfast together. And it was funny because it cost me more to fill up my gas tank to drive out there and come back. And I, I, then I, I think it was like a $50 presenter's fee for that. So it was funny because I got out there and it actually cost me money to go present at that, uh, which is fine. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to break the bank on any of this stuff, but, uh, but you know, it's kind of funny. She, she wrote me into that one. Um, but, you know, I also I want to give a lot of credit. There's a lot of high school strength coaches that, that I'm, I'm so impressed with what I see coming out of, you know, around the country. Now, whether it's the speed development, whether it's the actual training itself, whether it's the, you know, the, the incorporation of a giant room and you have one coach blowing a whistle, like you said, but man, dude, something's going right. Cause these kids all know how to lift. Um, you know, so the flip side of that is like how many kids, you know, get to college and, you know, coaches want to complain that they're not prepared. Well, shoot, man, they sneeze too. And they were going through puberty. So I'm not trying to disagree with you but I always want to give credit where it's due. And I'm not trying to disagree with Missy, but I always want to give credit where it's due. I, I agree with you. Don't, don't take credit for, you know, mother nature. Don't take credit for these kids doing a really good job of picking their parents. Right. And just like, sometimes genetics are undefeated, but that being said, you have some phenomenal strength coaches putting really intelligent programs and mo and these kids are motivated. Man, like when you approach training with that level of motivation and that enthusiasm, man, like, oof, there, there's a lot of high school programs that look one way because you can tell the training's really, really working. You can tell there's, there's a lot of other high school programs that look another way, but you know what? There's a lot of college programs that look a certain way and a lot of other college programs that don't look that way.
So it's not like I'm trying to bash on a high school. I'm not. I'm not trying to bash on a college. I'm just trying to say give credit where it's due, man, because there there are some high, high level high school strength coaches. You know, and again, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I I can't even remember who it was. You know, maybe it was Monty. Uh, but I was talking to somebody, you know, it was, it was, it's almost like insulting to, if I'm a high school strength coach, I would be insulted that you think a high school strength job is a fallback job because college strength coach didn't work out. Bro, are you kidding me? It's a tough job, man. And the cream's always going to rise to the top. And, and dude, there are some, some very, very skilled practitioners. And, you know, and it's funny because everyone's saying, oh, just go be a strength coach in Texas. Bro, they ain't taking every Tom, Dick, and Harry down here, man. You, you got to be pretty good at what you do if you want to get a head strength job in Texas at the high school level. Uh, man, there, there are some – again, I, I mean, I know it's going to sound like I'm pandering, man, but, but I am so impressed with the level of strength and conditioning that you see coming out nationally with just some very high-level strength coaches. But again, within the state of Texas, man, there's multi-million dollar facilities because property taxes are through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't lying. That, that, money, that money's got to go somewhere. There's no, there's no state income tax, man. The property <laughs> taxes ain't no joke. But that money's got to go somewhere, man. And they invest in these high schools and not just athletics, man. ROTC, uh, band, you know, all the science. My daughter is at a school where they have, you know, future problem solvers as a club. And they're going up to Waco for a state tournament of future problem solvers it's like a debate club and you're just like man like these high school dude these high school texas jobs ain't no joke man they are invested down here um you know so again I, i'm not trying to disagree with you and, and i know and i'm not trying to disagree with missy but bro there's some guys doing a high level job man and i, I want to give credit where it's due because i've been very very impressed the more time i spent down here and the more coaches i got to know man <laughs> It is not an entry-level job. I'll put it at that. No, I agree with you 100%, and you're absolutely right. You know, I, I would I would not want to uh, diminish those people that are doing a great job. Because like you said, there are, there are some really, really awesome uh, coaches. Um, I'm thankful to to be able to call some friends and you know, just just to learn from them. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on before we get you out of here is, is on the flip side of not just the training side, but, you know, you, you post a lot about what you guys eat. Um, and I think, you know, at the high school level, and I'm sure you see it, you know, when they first get to you at the college level, like the eating habits are just not very good. And I think one of the biggest X factors, right. Aside from the quality in which you put into your training and your recovery is the nutrition side of things, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're going to, the, the analogy is, is what's through the test of time, right? You, if you, if you want to run a race car, you got to put the right fuel in, right? You're not yeah. going to put, you're not going to put diesel, right? And in a Ferrari F1, right? It's just yeah. not going to work. Um, what is it about your desire to, to put that out there? Uh, or I guess my question would be, you know, what do you hope that somebody is picking up aside from just an appetite when you post these, these beautiful plates of food, you know, to talk about eating like a grown man? You know what, man, it's, uh, 
because it's on the tail end of a podcast, if anybody's listened this long, I'll give you, I'll give you the insider secret. Internally, I say, if you want to look like a grown-ass man, you got to eat like a grown-ass man, right? Now, on, on the world of Twitter, it's if you want to look like a grown man, you got to eat like a grown You got to edit it a little bit, right? You know, you, you can't be putting out the, uh, you know, the R-rated version, you know, PG-13 version. But, uh, but anyways, to me, I, I sometimes don't overthink it. I'm a former 300-pound defensive lineman that I really value good food okay and so to me i you know you have the people who you know they're gonna say you know a calorie is a calorie and yes a calorie is a calorie but man not all calories are created equal and so even if you're looking at something as simple as protein okay the most important thing about your protein consumption is your total intake Right. And people argue about like, you know, is there a 30 minute window after training? Is that like, yeah, that's important. And when timing is important, but nutrient timing is not even as important as nutrient quality and nutrient quality is still probably not as important as your total intake. So if I had to rank that out one, two, and three with something as simple as protein, your total daily intake, then the quality of it, what I mean by that, if, if you're trying to get big, strong, you know, just freaking jacked, stay healthy, are you going to want to eat a pound of hot dogs or a pound of filet mignon? Like what's going to be better for your body? So it's not all created equal. And then at the end of it, yeah, the, the, the timing is important, but it's still not as important as the other things. And so to me, I think where we can kind of lose sight of this is you have a lot of people that they, they struggle as strength coaches, you know, like, Hey, we need guys to gain weight. We need, you know, need to put on 30 pounds. We need to do this, need to do that. And at the end of the day, you're saying, Hey, we just need to put in calories, caloric intake. Yes. If you want to gain weight and put on muscle mass, you need to be in a caloric surplus. And yeah, if you want to lose weight, you need to be lose weight. You need to be in a caloric deficit. But if you care about anything outside of that, so let's say you care about tissue quality. Let's say you care about the kind of body composition you have. Let's say we care about those things. Well, then, yeah, the actual quality and the timing becomes really important. And so to me, again, like when I was in school, uh, this was actually coming from a sport coach. They used to tell us to go get the, uh, you know, like eat, eat ice cream at night, eat pizza at night. And this is Division One athletics, but that's how they were telling us to gain weight. Now, that's not what the strength coaches were saying, but that's what the sport coaches were saying. And that, that specific one guy, I remember it. You know, they used to have like $5 pizza um, on like Thursdays, and we'd all go buy a $5 pizza. And other than that, he wanted us to eat half a gallon of ice cream every single night because that would help us gain weight. Well, I also graduated college as a pre-diabetic. Um, I mean, my blood sugar was like, like I kept, I kept having issues. And I was having my blood sugar tested. And you look back and you're like, you know what? I really wish I hadn't listened to that guy who was telling me to eat half a gallon of ice cream at night because that's how you gain weight, right? And so you look at that and you say, so you know what? What if we do things in a way that you're not sacrificing taste for quality and you're not sacrificing you know, a good meal 
for performance. You know, you don't have to eat boiled chicken and, you know, boiled broccoli and brown rice with no sauce every single meal. Like we're not bodybuilders, man. So if you're saying, you know what, we can have really high quality meals that taste amazing and they're really good for you. And they're actually going to aid in your performance and they're going to aid in your recovery. And, you know, like you're saying, oh, it's, you know, the fuel in the Ferrari. Yeah, I get that. That's awesome. But it also tastes really, really good. Um, I'll, I'll argue with anybody. You know, people want to say like New York City is the best food city in America. Bro, it is not. Houston is. We've got, we got seafood coming out the Gulf. We got Cajun food coming from Louisiana. This is, this is the most diverse, um, the most diverse place I've ever been in my life. So if you want Korean food, if you want Nigerian food, if you want Hawaiian food, if you want anything, man, if you want great barbecue, if you want great Mexican food, which is different than Tex-Mex, if you want great Tex-Mex, if you want great anything, it is all here in the city of Houston. And so we can incorporate the best of all of that into what we feed our guys. And by doing that, it tastes good. By doing that, it's healthy. By doing that, we can take a kid, like our starting, you know, four-man, five-man this year, you know, however we're going to end up playing that, you know, or if he doesn't start, he's going to play a ton of minutes for us. He was a freshman that came in at 197 pounds. And now he weighs a little over 230. He weighs, you know, about 232, 235. But he's also the only kid on our team who's above 10% body fat. He's 11.2. So we have one player on our team above 10% body fat. I really value being lean. Okay, because when you're lean, you have a better hormonal response to everything. That's another, another conversation for another day, getting into the science of that. You know, because you know, food is information, and information that, that triggers a cascade of hormonal response to everything we do. But we have one kid on our team above 10% body fat. We have multiple, multiple kids on our team above 225, 230, and only one above 10% body fat, and he's 11. And we feed them food that tastes really, really good, and it's really, really healthy, and it does great things for their body to both develop and recover. So to me, you know, you'd be fooling yourself to think that they don't go eat, you know, Chick-fil-A every now and again, or to think they don't go ahead of fast food, go through the golden arches, whatever. But when we're with them, how about we be the experts? And how about we put something in front of them that an expert would put in front of them? And so that, that's why to me, I take a lot of pride in what I do. Am I the best in the world at it? Man, I'm not. Would I be lying if I said every now and again, we don't put a pizza in front of them? No, we do, man. They're not robots. You know, sometimes you, you got to, periodize your nutrition and, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's time for a really high calorie carb reload day. You put a pizza in front of them, but if we're going to feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, it better be some high quality stuff or they're going to, they're not going to eat it. And I'll tell you what, man, we have some really, really good adherence to our nutrition. Um, you know, and it's something I take a lot of pride in. Um, again, I'm, you put the former 300 pound defensive lineman in charge of it. It's going to be some good stuff. Um, but you know, also credit, credit to Houston, man. There's a lot of options out there for us to do a pretty good job with. No doubt, man. Well, I, I, I confirm with what you're saying about that, but I'm also very biased as that's my hometown. And growing up, my dad has always been in the restaurant business, so he knows all the, the really great hole in the walls for whatever ethnicity. And, you know, I don't – it just doesn't have – 
know, Houston just doesn't have the glitz and glam of New York City. But yeah, I would say, you know, restaurant for restaurant, whether it's a five star, you know, or three star Michelin to to whatever, you're gonna find it in Houston. Um, you know, you're and you just excuse me, you can't go wrong there. So no, it's you know, it's funny if you talk about the hole in the walls, one of the one of the crazy things is uh we do, you know, like we'll do some breakfast tacos, you know, from a spot called Brothers Tacos, hole in the wall, if you're not from the area. But if you're from the area and you go there, man, there's a line out around the building, right? Uh, we, we do stuff from a spot called Merida's, you know, really, really good, authentic Mexican food, you know, right, you know, about 15 minutes from us. You know, we're doing barbecue from, you know, whether it be Killen's barbecue, whether it be, uh, you know, pit room barbecue, you know, we're doing all these great spots, right? But like you said, you know, little hole in the wall spots. But, you know, again, we're fortunate, man. We've invested in our nutrition, you know, and again, that's another conversation for another day. If you've got a budget, I believe you should go all in. You know, if you're on the collegiate side, go all in on nutrition before you go all in on, you know, whether it be tech, whether it be, you know, other areas, go all in on nutrition first. That is my bias. But if you're living in, Dallas, if you're living in New York City, if you're living in Miami, if you're living in LA, that should be part of that student athlete experience. And cater cater in some of those holes in the walls, you know, like, you know, and enjoy that as part of your college experience, that you're getting to try these different spots all over the place. Just because you're working your butt off, and you're doing a good job. That's kind of your, you know, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, man, you just work your butt off for me, I promise we're going to feed you in a really good way. So, yeah, man, it's uh, off off the podcast. We'll have to we'll have to share some, uh, you know, share some some spots we like we like to hit because man, I'm I'm always always a uh, always on a look for good new local dining spots. I got you, man. I got you. Well, Coach Bishop, brother, I appreciate your time. I, I thank you for uh, for finally making this opportunity a reality. I know we've tried to match up schedules on, on, I guess, going on it a little over a year now, but uh, yeah. I, I knew it was always going to be a great one. I appreciate everything that you do for not just the profession, but uh, as an advocate for, for high school coaches. Uh, you know, I hope anybody listening to this, particularly on the administrative side, understands just the value in which having quality people in, in the right places can do for, for the kids you know, at the end of the day, we don't have a job if it's not for these these students and student athletes.